open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. This morning we're really just going to look at one verse, um, but we're going to read the paragraph that it's in just um, for the sake of context. Um, but the verse we're going to look at is Philippians 1, chapter 6. And, um, you know, I don't know if I have a favorite verse of the Bible, but, but if, I, if I was forced to choose one, this is probably what I would, what I would end up choosing. Um, this has been a verse that's been very big help to me in, in life and ministry in a lot of ways. So. Um, but we're going to look at, we're going to read um, verses 3 through 11. Um, and this is kind of a, this verse comes in the middle of a paragraph where Paul is, he's giving thanks to God for the Philippian Christians for for things that he sees in their life, uh, as well as things that he's expecting the Lord to do in them. Um, and so with that in mind, let's look um, at God's word. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's look to him once again and ask him for his help. Oh Lord God, you are the great shepherd of your people, and so now as we come to this passage, we ask that you would lead us, that you would teach us, that you would speak to us, from it, that we would recognize your voice, Lord. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, You know, my favorite piece of architecture in the world is probably the Brooklyn Bridge. Um, And it's probably the only piece of architecture that I really like. There's not like a list I have. It's just the one. Um, But the Brooklyn Bridge, I think, is is amazing structure. You know, it's, it's been a national landmark for many years. Um, you know, I have, my sister brought me a New York uh, coffee mug, which is in my office. It has a picture of the Brooklyn Bridge on it. I mean, it's this iconic image, you know? Um, and it has captured the minds of, of filmmakers and poets and artists, you know, f- f- for the over 100 years that it's been around. Um, but the construction of it was something that, was, that had, some, had some difficulties. Uh, the designer of the, of the bridge, John Augustus Roebling, I believe that's how you say that, he, he sustained an injury while doing some surveying work for it, and he eventually passed away before construction began um, from a tetanus infection. Um, he put his son Washington in charge before he died. Well, Washington also became ill while working on the bridge. He, he had got compression sickness, and so he was no longer able to be on site. So he was sort of, he had to stay at his house, at his office, while his wife Emily uh, was the one who sort of supervised the work um, on site. Um, there was also trouble with the bedrock in the East River, and they, there was, they, were, they were wondering if, if they would even be able to build the bridge, and they had to, suspend, um, had to suspend construction for a while. The working environment was dangerous back then, and so nearly 30 people died um, as, they, as they worked on this bridge. And all told, it took about 13 years, from 1870 to 1883, to build the Brooklyn Bridge. But upon its completion, there was a huge celebration, a, a parade, and, and the... Uh, the, the 
mayor of, of New York City, the president of the United States. They rode across it, and, and it, was a, it was a big to-do, a big deal. And I've often wondered what it would have been like, that 13-year period when they were building this, this bridge. It was, it was, at the time, it was the largest suspension bridge in the world by, by a fair margin. And I often wondered what it would have been like to, to live around there, to walk by that bridge, and to see it being built over this period of time. And I wonder what, what the different thoughts that the people had. Some of the people may have looked at it and thought, you know, this thing, this, there's been so much trouble. This thing is such, a, it's such an eyesore. It's hideous. Or other people may have thought it, it couldn't be done. You know, it's just too big. Nothing like that can, can be built. Uh, a suspension bridge that big can't be built. Or other people may have, may have thought, you know, this is going to be great. This is going to look wonderful. Um, but I wonder if anyone uh, had sort of the foresight to see how iconic this bridge would become, how, how sort of culturally um, important it, it would become. I, I doubt that any, uh, very many, if any, uh, had, that, had that sort of view. But, you know, we might wonder, how could someone walk past something that, that so clearly is going to be a masterpiece one day and not see it? How could someone walk past something that's so clearly going to be um, that, that amazing, that great one day, and not, and not notice it? But the truth is that, that you and I do that every day. We walk past things that are going to be masterpieces someday, and we don't see it. We don't see it. We don't notice. Um, and I'm, I'm talking, of course, about you and me. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about believers. I'm talking about Christians. Um, you know, we may look across the breakfast table in the morning, or we may look across the sanctuary today, or you may look at yourself in the mirror, and you may think, you know, what I see is a mess. What I see is a wreck. There's no way that this could ever be a masterpiece. And I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about spiritually. You know, we, we look at our lives and we see the, our struggles and we look at our friends and family, people we know well. We see their problems and, and the difficulties that they have, the, the things that they struggle with. And we say there's no way this person could ever be a masterpiece. Uh, they're a mess or I'm a mess. Um, but the truth is that, and as our passage is going to tell us today, um, that we are all works in progress. Um, and that one day that we will be finished, we'll be finally complete, and we will be masterpieces. We will be beautiful. Um, the Brooklyn Bridge or any piece of earthly art will not be able to compare to the beauty, to, to how dazzling, to how permanent um, the glorified Christians, the, the glorified church will look. So let's look at our passage this morning. Um, we're just going to look at, at God's work in us from Philippians uh, chapter 1, verse 6. So the first thing we see is that God began a good work in us. And we, we see that at the beginning of the verse. He, Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you. And so what is this work? What is this good work that Paul's referring to? Well, it's the work of making us holy. It's the work of making us look like Jesus. It's the work of, of saving and redeeming us. It's the work of, of taking dead people and making them alive, just as we read this morning from Ezekiel 37. Um, God is creating a living, breathing army in the church out of a desert full of dry bones. God is taking enemies, and he is making them his sons and his daughters. God is taking wicked, evil people, and he's making them good. He's making them holy. So, so we know that God has started this work. We know what it is, but what, what makes this work? Uh, what else do we know about it? Well, we know that it's good. Paul says it's a good work. He says it's, it's, he doesn't call it a fun work. He doesn't call it an easy work or a painless work. But he calls it a good work. It is a good work. Why is it so good? Well, because God is reversing the curse. Um, when we know that Adam and Eve were created and, and God looked at them, he looked at his creation, he said it's very good. It was a very good thing. 
But we know that Adam and Eve fell and that they were no longer, things weren't so good anymore. Um, that they were created in the image of God, but that image was tarnished in them and in us. But when we trust in Jesus, God starts this work in us to fix us, to heal us, to redeem us, to make us what we were always meant to be back in the garden, um, to make us fully human in a sense, to restore that image of God in us. And this truth ought to fill us with humility, um, that God is the one who, who began this process in you and in me. It's, it's sometimes easy for us to look at those outside the church and to feel sort of spiritually or morally superior, um, that we have, you know, we've got it together and they don't. But in reality, you know, we, we, have, we have nothing to brag about. God is the one who began this work in us. We didn't start it ourselves. Um, we have no bragging rights. As Paul writes in the New Testament elsewhere, it's by grace you've, it's by, uh, faith you've, by grace you've been saved through faith that is, so that no one may boast. So God is the one who has initiated this relationship with us. There's, there's no boasting allowed. There's no room for that. All the work that we do to pursue holiness, all the work that we do uh, to try uh, to live godly lives is merely building on this foundation that God has already built uh, when he started this good work in us. So God's the one who started this work. But we also see that God is, is presently working in us now. Um, we, don't see that, uh, we don't see that explicitly in this verse, but I think it's implied. If God, he began this work and he will finish this work, um, he is continuing to work on us now. But we do see that verse explicitly, or we do see this stated explicitly in uh, chapter 2 of Philippians. So if you just look over with me at chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, um, Paul does state this explicitly. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. So, so we are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We are called to take our pursuit of holiness seriously. We're called to uh, take this very seriously. And yet, it is God is working in us at the same time. His work is sort of undergirding our work. We are working in cooperation, in conjunction, um, as we in, in this process of sanctification, this process of becoming more like Jesus. And so uh, it's, God is at work in us right now. He is working in you and I right now. Because God is God, he's able to use everything in our lives to shape us to who he wants to be. He's able to use everything in life to make us more patient, to make us more loving, uh, to make us more kind. Um, he's able to use problems at work or being stuck in traffic or all these things that we sort of dread during the day. Um, in my life right now, in my context, changing diapers, right? He's able to use changing diapers somehow to shape me and change me into who he wants me to be, to make me look more like Jesus. He can use good days and bad days. He can use times of joy and times of suffering. He can use everything in our lives, even the stuff that we wish weren't there. He can use to make us holy, to sanctify us. Um, we know from... From Romans 8, where Paul writes that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God can use, he uses all things, all things that take place in the life of a believer. God is turning to good, even if we don't quite see it, if we don't quite understand how. God is using those things for good in us. He is using all things to bless us, even the things that feel like curses. And I would say maybe especially the things that feel like curses. God is using to shape us, to mold us, uh, to make us like, look like Jesus. And the truth is that this truth that God is at work, this is, this is enormous. This is, um, you know, it's huge encouragement to me 
as someone in the ministry. You know, I don't know if I could be in the ministry without this verse because, you know, sometimes after preaching a sermon or after doing a Bible study or after, you know, having a one-on-one with, with one of the youth here at the church, you know, it's, it's very easy to walk away from that and say, okay, did that do any good? You know, did I, did I give bad advice? Did I actually just make things worse in that situation? Um, it's easy to walk away and to feel that way. Um, but at the end of the day, I come back to this. Hey, God is at work. He can work through me. He can work around me. He can work in spite of me. Um, God is the one who is at work. You know, I can't mess up what he's doing, right? To, to think that I had the power somehow to mess up what he was wanting to do is to give myself way too much credit. But the truth is that, that pastors aren't the only ones with ministry. Uh, you know, this verse should be an encouragement to, to each one of us. Uh, as we have personal ministries to friends and family and coworkers and neighbors, you know, I hope that each of you in this room, I hope we all have people in our lives that, that are not believers that we're trying to um, share the gospel with. I hope we all have people in our lives who are Christians that we're trying to encourage. Um, and it can be very discouraging. It can be very difficult sometimes. We often feel, you know, like we, we've got an opportunity to share the gospel. We've got an opportunity to encourage someone, and we've just completely messed it all up. You know, we said the wrong thing, we did the wrong thing, uh, and, and now, you know, where are we? Now it feels like things, you know, things are, 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 have taken steps backwards. But in times like that, we are to cling to this truth, that God is the one who's at work. Um, that God is the one who's at work um, in what you say and do, and, and even the things that you say poorly or say wrongly. Um, that God is still able to work through those things. You know, I remember when I was in seminary, I worked in a coffee shop for several years, and there was this girl there, and, and she kind of was spiritually interested in things, and so we would talk about, she would ask me questions about the Bible, and ask me questions about things, and one day we were having a conversation, and I said something, and she, she kind of shut down, and, and the conversation sort of wrapped up quickly, and, and so the, for the next several weeks, we didn't really, she didn't really ask me any more spiritual questions, and, but we were, you know, we were busy at work, so I didn't really think too much about it, but then she came to me finally, and she said, all right, look, you know, this thing you said to me a few weeks ago really made me angry. Um, and you really, you know, and I was just like, I don't want to talk about this anymore with you, but I just can't stop thinking about it. And so I've got to ask you questions about it now. You know, <laughs> I, I'd said something wrong and, I, and it looked like, you know, I'd sort of messed things up. Uh, but then, but, but God sort of opened that door again. We continued to have conversations. And um, actually, the same girl, I did everything wrong with this person. Uh, with the same girl, she, she also, I gave her this Christian book. And I was like, you know, this would be the perfect book for her. I feel like just her personality, I thought she would love this book. And she read this book, and she came back, and she's like, I hated that book. It was terrible. Uh, so I was like, oh, okay. Um, so, but anyways, the point is this, that God is at work, that, that we can't mess up um, what he's doing, um, that it's our job to, to encourage fellow Christians, to um, encourage each other, to share the gospel with those who don't, who don't know Jesus. Um, but we can't be paralyzed with fear that we're going to mess things up or say the wrong thing. Um, you know, this should also be an encouragement to us with our kids. Uh, as our kids are, as, as children are growing, as, as I'm working with this youth and as you parents of, of young people, uh, you know, it's easy sometimes to, to sort of be nervous about your kids and to say, you know, is my kid mature enough to, to leave the house to go to college? Is, is, does my kid really love the Lord? Does my kid really love the church? Uh, you know, it's easy to be sort of concerned about this, but it, there's really not that much as a, as a youth minister, as parents that we can do, but, but pray and talk to them and love them and, and cling to this truth. That God is at work. He's at work in the lives of our children. Um, that he is still at, he's still at work. Even though we may be asleep, we can't be up worrying about them. He's still at work. Even though they may be several hours away at college, he's still at work. And this can also be an encouragement to us in our own walk with Christ. 
Uh, We might be frustrated that we've been struggling with that same sin for years and years, and there just seems to be no relief. Um, And and every time we think we've taken one step forward, we take two steps back. Uh, We can be frustrated at times that we don't seem to be spiritually maturing. We don't seem to be growing like we once did. We don't feel as close to the Lord maybe as we once did. But it's important to remember that God is at work, so we are to keep working too. We are to keep striving and working in our own growth and grace because God is at work. You may not feel it. You may not always feel like he's at work, uh, but you can, you, we can believe this promise that, that he is, that he always is working. So God began this work, and he continues this work in us. But third and finally, we see that God will finish this work in us. And I think this is where Paul's sight has been set the entire time. This is where he's been sort of aiming us in this verse. Let's look again at verse 6. He says, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So when will this be finished? It will be finished at the day of Jesus Christ. Well, okay, well, when's that? Uh, well, Paul uses this phrase several times throughout the New Testament, and he always uses it to refer to the end of the age, to refer to when, when Jesus comes back, when everything is said and done. Um, that's, when he uses, that's what he is referring to. Um, he is trying to get the Philippians and us to look forward to that day, to long for that day uh, when the Lord returns, when all things are, are said and done. Um, and so the real answer is, is we're finished when, when we uh, are glorified. When we go to heaven, our, our bodies and souls are, are united in heaven, and, and we are uh, with Jesus and with all the saints uh, when, we, when, when we look forward to an eternity in heaven with God. I mean, that is when we are finished. That's when this completion will take place. And, you know, there's a lot of things that we look forward to in heaven. We look forward to a day with no more cancer. We look forward to a day with no more death and no more sickness. Uh, we look forward to a day where there's no more fear, no more tears, no more heartbreak, no more evil. Those are wonderful things for us to look forward to. But we should also be looking forward to the day where we won't be battling and struggling with our sin anymore. We should look forward to the day that we won't lie anymore, the day that we won't say hurtful words anymore, the day that we won't lust anymore, the day that we won't envy or covet anymore, uh, the day that we won't be lazy anymore, the day where we won't worship idols in our hearts anymore. Um, these are also things that we should look forward to um, as we look forward to heaven. Now, surely we know that feeling. We all know that feeling where you, you've said or done something, and it's just it's made a complete mess out of a situation. You, you've hurt the person or the people in your lives that you care about the most. Uh, we all know that feeling. We can look forward. In those moments, we can look forward to heaven where those, where those moments don't exist anymore. But there's another way that we can apply this, this truth that, that God is going to God will finish what he starts. God is going to finish um, this good work that he's begun in us. And there's another big way I think we can apply this. Um, so I'm going to, I want to address the critical people um, uh, in the room today. And first, let me assure you that, that I am one of you, and I may be the chief among you. Okay? Um, so there, this, and that's why this, actually, that's why this verse you know, brings this application so clearly to my mind, because this is something I struggle with, um, being critical. Um, you know, those of us who frequently criticize our, our spouses or criticize our kids or criticize our family, you know, friends and family members, those we're close to. I, I, trust me, I believe you when you say that you have good intentions. I know, right? We have good intentions, okay? You know, we see someone that, that's close to us, someone we care about, we see them doing something and we say, well, that's okay, but, you know, there's a better way to do this thing and it just so happens to be my way of doing this thing. And so I really feel it's my duty to share with this person uh, my better way of doing this thing, okay? Um, that, sounds, that may sound familiar uh, uh, to, to many of you. I think we all struggle with this in, 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 certain, um, in certain areas of life. 
Um, but what, make, what is it that makes us do this? Well, I, I kind of look at my own heart, look at my own life, and I think the answer is when I, when I find myself being critical, like criticizing and nitpicking what people do and, and you know, constantly sort of chirping in their ear about what they need to do and how they need to change things, I feel like what, what I'm doing is I, I've, taken, I've, I've assumed that it's my job to fix this person. I've assumed that it's my job to correct them. Because if I don't correct them, then who's going to do it, right? And what, what really is, you know, they may be doing a good job of things, but I say, you know, they could be doing it so much better. And I really feel like it's my, my um, prerogative to share with them how to do things better. Um, but I, I'm acting as if it's my job to complete them. I'm acting if it's, in a way, I'm acting as if I'm their Lord and Savior, as if I'm the one that's going to redeem them. I'm the one that's going to save them. I'm the one that's going to fix them and heal them and complete them and make them whole. But as we see here, it's not my job in this verse, it's not my job to complete anyone. Um, I didn't even begin the good work in myself, and the Lord, the Lord began the work in me, and he's going to complete the work in me. Uh, it's not my job to, to complete someone else or to fix them. God has done it. He's the one who started it. He's the one who will complete it. Yet some of us try to take God's job away, and we try to do it for him. And we say, don't worry about my spouse, God. We don't say it in these words, but we kind of act this way. Don't worry about my spouse, God. I'll fix her. Or I'll complete him. I'll take care of them. You don't worry about them. Or don't worry about my kids. I'll make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do. I'll, I'll be the one. Uh, don't, we don't want to patiently wait for the Lord to grow our kids in grace. We want to do it for him. Now, does this mean that it's, that it's wrong to, to lovingly point out to, to your spouse or family members or friends, you know, or to ever suggest something to them or to ever instruct our kids? Does that mean that's wrong? Of course not. Of course not. Uh, but we, whenever we're doing that, we need to be doing it patiently. We need to be doing it lovingly. Um, we need to be not nitpicking every tiny thing that a person does. Um, we, we, and here's the big one. We shouldn't be expecting perfection from everyone around us except ourselves. Um, we, we shouldn't be doing that. We must remember that God is at work in them and that he's at work in us. And that he's the one who's going, he's the one who is working on them. He's the one who's going to, he's the one that's going to complete the work in them. It's not going to be me. He does not need, you know, as surprising as I may find it, he does not need my help. Um, to complete this work in another person. And of course, it's our job you know, to instruct our children, um, to, to teach them, to, to raise them up, to encourage them to make good decisions. Um, but the Bible also warns us not to provoke them, not to, not to be harsh with them, not to be too hard on them. Um, so there's a, there's a difference between instruction and criticizing everything your child does. Um, and that's something that we have to learn from Jesus and something we have to learn from the godly saints around us who, who are wiser and older and who have been down that road before. Now, okay, so I've, I've laid into the criticizers pretty hard there. So you guys who are the ones who get criticized, you're probably feeling pretty high on the horse right now. But this truth is also for you too. Um, because if, if you're the one in the family or the one in the marriage or the one in the friendship who's getting criticized all the time, um, this truth is for you too. Um, because God, remember that, that this person that you're, who's criticizing you, if they're a Christian, that, that God is at work in them as well. Um, that you must be patient with them as well, that you must be forgiving, that you've got to remember that God is not finished with them, that he's going to complete them. Uh, and it's important to, to be gracious, even if the person criticizing you is not gracious. Um, so this truth is really for both sides uh, of, that, of that equation. Um, there's a pastor named Tim Keller who, who's written a tremendous book on marriage. Um, and it's just, I, I would recommend it to, to you guys. Um, and one of the best passages in the book deals with these sort of issues. He deals with, um, he encourages husbands and wives, instead of 
instead of focusing on the flaws of your spouse, instead of constantly sort of zeroing, zeroing in on those flaws and, and always pointing those out and bringing those up in conversation and discussion, um, instead of doing that, be looking for the ways that, that God is working on this person. Be looking for the ways that you see God at work in their lives. Be looking for the ways that you see them changing and growing. Be looking for the little shoots of grace that are coming up in their lives, the, ways, the places where God is changing them. And, and Keller sort of imagines like in heaven. He, he imagines that one day we'll be in heaven and we'll see, you know, you'll, and this can apply to, to not just marriage too. We'll see our earthly spouse, right? Or we'll see, you know, friends and family members from, from earth, you know, and we'll be in heaven and we'll see them and, we'll, and, and they'll be perfect and they'll be a masterpiece and they'll be complete and they'll be exactly what the Lord had always intended for them to be. And, we, and he imagines that we'll see this person in heaven or these people in heaven and that will say, you know, I always knew that you could be like this. I only saw a tiny glimpse of it on earth, but I always knew that, that, you, that this was in there, that this is where the Lord was going to take you. Um, and this is, this is a good way, I think, for our relationships with our parents and our, our friends and our coworkers and uh, those we go to church with, that even if it's hard to see that one day the Lord is going to complete them, uh, that he's going to complete us, um, and, and we can imagine this day uh, with great joy when we'll all be as we were meant to be, all be as we were intended to be. So it's important to remember that God finishes what he starts. Uh, sometimes the construction, the, the progress may be sort of messy. Uh, it, may be, uh, it may not look very pretty while it's in progress. But it's important to remember that one day uh, we'll all be uh, complete, we'll all be perfect masterpieces, just as he intended for us to be. One last thing I want to point out to you is if you notice at the very beginning of verse 6, Paul says, and I am sure of this, this, this truth that he's given us, that God is at work, that God finishes what he starts, Paul says, I am sure of this. I am certain of this. Well, how can he be so sure? How can he be so certain? The answer is because the work of Christ is that secure. The work of Christ is certain. Because, you see, Jesus' final words on the cross come to bear here when he said, it is finished. That redemption has been complete. That it has been purchased. That you have been purchased. And when he rose from the grave, it was a guarantee that all that he had said and all that he had done was true. It was real. And when he appeared to his disciples in his resurrected body, it was a guarantee that one day that we would all be resurrected. One day that we would have resurrection bodies. One day we would be complete too. Even though we might look like a mess right now, one day God will finish that good work that he has started in you and in me. And Jesus himself is the promise and the guarantee of that. So as we look back right now, as we look back on 2012, as we reflect on the year that's, that's rounding down, and as we look forward to 2013, remember that you and that all the Christians around you, all the Christians in your life, are works in progress. But God will finish that good work that he has started. Because he is faithful. Amen. Let's, let's go to him in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this word and we thank you for this truth. Um, Lord, we ask that we would all cling to that, that we would remember uh, that you are at work, um, that you are working in us. It is a good work and that one day it will be complete, that one day you will, you will finish what you've started, that we can rest in that, we can trust you in that because you are a faithful and good God. Father, we, I ask that you would bless us all as we leave here this day and write your word on our hearts. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand as we sing our closing hymn.
see the blessing of the Lord, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.